Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of another film podcast. My name is Colin. My name is Tierney. My name is Matt. something different see if it works you know what i mean face was so annoyed that matt called and i said nothing it was like really guys you're gonna leave this one just there you know i just appreciate the support um uh, i appreciate all my fans all my well wishers and to those who don't like it shit (laughs) (laughs) um well speaking of eating shit um the the movie that we're going to talk about (laughs) tierney looks very confused as she should uh so now it's, it's my pick for uh one of my favorite movies of 2021 um and i selected the power of the dog um which has some dogs in it but it's not really about dogs, which is kind of a bummer. But um, I had seen this movie in theaters. Um, it you know, premiered at all the festivals, and it was supposed to be really good. And so when it finally opened in Denver, I went and checked it out. And I was just, like, really blown away by it. I, I don't really know why, um, and I'm excited to, like, talk through that. <laughs> um, but, like... I just, like, as I was sitting in the theater, I was just completely captivated throughout the entire thing. Um, And I walked out of the theater and I was like, damn, that was really good. Um, I was looking at my movie tracker, and I think part of the reason why may have been because I did a double feature with this and Spencer, but I had done Spencer first, and I really didn't enjoy Spencer. (laughs) So, like, maybe my expectations (laughs) for my, my, like, evening at the theater had just, like, plummeted so far. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I thought it was a really, like, an incredibly well-made movie. Um, <clears throat> I have not seen any of Jane Campion's other stuff, but I know that people really like her. Tierney, I'm sure you'll be able to talk a little bit more about that. But, um, Is yeah, that because I'm a was, woman? No, it's because I know that you've seen her movies, <laughs> or at least one of her movies. <laughs> I just want but also, yes, it is because you are a woman, so <laughs> you're the only one who can speak to Jane Campion. You're the only one who's qualified to speak to Jane Campion because you are a woman. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really good. And then I told you guys to watch it, and Tierney did, and Matt didn't until now. So, so here, we, here we are. Here we are. <coughs> Tierney, why don't you, Tierney, the, I was say, why don't yeah, you go the next? second one who watched it. Uh, so I watched it um, sometime between the day after Christmas and when I had to go back to work sometime in that period. Uh, I watched this and the piano in two days. So I had myself a little Jane Campion film fest of the two movies. Um, I, that's like half of her filmography, isn't it? (laughs) I I guess. Um, I don't know. I thought, I thought it was really good. I think it's, it's a slow burn and, the ending really like um ending really caught me by surprise 
and then I was, was like all the puzzle pieces start to land and then this time around it was fun to kind of see um some of the stuff like building toward it um sooner uh but visually it's fantastic in my opinion and the soundtrack it's, is fantastic uh, it's completely gorgeous like the i've never been to new zealand but like God i damn. have <laughs> yikes <laughs> uh, uh it then, just it looks incredible yeah it it does and then we can talk uh, more details later but i think that like performances are all very good and i think that jane campion's directing is top notch um anyway go ahead matt <laughs> so yeah to, to preface <laughs> Tierney and i both saw this movie a while ago we both really liked it and then we were like discussing movies like potential movies that we wanted to talk about during this little run that we're doing like best of 2021 which isn't to say it doesn't have its flaws sure yeah i would not say that it's a perfect movie either but tyranny and i both really enjoyed it and so we both were like oh yeah that would be a good one to talk about and so matt was like okay sure yeah like it it's you know a lot of buzz you guys like it so let's go and so then matt watched it the other day and just texted us I have some thoughts. <laughs> we were like, oh boy. <laughs> so, all right, Matt, hit us with your thoughts. <clears throat> Pass. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for this. Did you think would, it was boring? Um, I would like to thank boy. the Academy for giving me yeah. this opportunity to say no. <laughs> the power of the dog. <laughs> here's, here's what I'm going to say about my experience with Power of the Dog. I'm not sure what, if anything, this movie is doing. And that is my feeling on Power of the Dog. I feel so neutral about every aspect of the movie that it makes me tilt negative that I just don't care about it at all. To the point where we'll get more into what the story is about... Um, but in discussing it uh, with some other people and around the fact that it's uh, considered an LGBTQIA movie, I would like to return this movie to <laughs> the straight people. I don't want this one. Which there is like, I feel like there is a lot of truth to that because it did rub me the wrong way that the villain is the gay character. I was kind of like, well, really, yeah. guys? Even though he is, like, sympathetic, but it was kind of like, it, I don't know, is it he? made me feel a bit ick. And then even though, like, there are allusions to Peter, is the boy's name? Mm-hmm. And he's, I guess, would be considered, like, the hero of the movie. It's never, nothing is ever explicitly said, and so the only explicit thing is the villain. And I was like, okay, it's, it's 2021, guys. Yeah, I just found it to be the least interesting story <laughs> or <laughs> message that I could possibly think of for a potential the potential Best Picture nominee for the year. Um, And I think in the same way that, like, Moonlight 
which did win Best Picture, uh, you know, it's, there's only a few moments of explicit queerness that are either stated or that we see in Moonlight, but the overall tension and the overall, like, uh, tone of the movie is really beautiful and, like, comes together really well. In this, uh, it is either vaguely uh, alluded to because of the time period or explicitly shown in magazines and neither case does anything surprising <clears throat> at all. Um, I, I want to say I won't be fun if I uh, try to lead the discussion of this movie. <laughs> and so I would love bo- for both of you to kind of take the lead on discussing what uh, you really liked. Uh, and I may attend, uh, you know, occasionally come in with questions uh, about, you know, did we get this moment? Or why should we think anything besides exactly what is being shown? Um, so those are my feelings on this movie. Uh, I, I wi- I, I'll just say I will be very sad and annoyed if this one's best picture this year, which it is likely to do. I was going to say, I feel like it's, uh, it's definitely the, the front runner. Uh-huh. Whether uh-huh. or not it actually wins, I think there's, like a, there's a couple other movies that I think are technically in play, but this one is definitely like the front runner. Got it. Yep. <laughs> so, which, but so super. if you if you're, it sounds like the main problems that you have are the script. But if you look at the rest of the movie, like, because the things to me that stand out about this movie are direction, cinematography, and music, and the performances I think are really good. Do you feel like those are all meh? Uh, yep. Wow. I thought the performances were the. They're just, they're doing the script. I thought Kirsten Dunst has been better. Really? I thought Clemens has been better. I mean, I think she's excellent in Melancholia, which got a little bit of buzz 10 years ago. Uh, but I think she's been better in other movies. I think Benedict Cumberbatch is pretty one note in this movie. And I think that does a lot to the gravity of what the point of the movie is. I think Cody Smith-McPhee is gone for an hour of the movie, and when he comes back, uh, I don't really know what his arc is. Is he really gone for an hour? I mean, he's, he's gone for, like, he's two gone for, acts of the movie. Yeah. Mm. In those, like, sec- those numbered sections, he's gone for, like, most of two and most of three. Oh, I didn't realize it was least. that long. And, yeah, I mean, I just, I really didn't, I, I thought the music was good. I thought it was, like, a classic Greenwood, like, <laughs> like, these weird strings that just make you feel very tense and scared. Um, and I thought, yeah, seeing the hills of New Zealand uh, doubling as Montana, very impressive cinematography. But you know what? I just don't give a fuck about this story or film as a whole um and it makes me mad it makes me sad that i have such a different reaction to it than everyone else it's okay it's me this will be a conversation in which you can enlighten me on why i should give a uh, 
have any care about this. <laughs> it is. It, some of the things you're pointing out, though, are interesting in the sense that I probably should have said this earlier. I knew absolutely nothing about this movie the first time I saw it. Did not know it was filmed in New Zealand until, I think, after yeah. I watched it the second time. Did not know at oh. all what it was about. And so You've I, only when seen I, it twice, right? Yeah. The, the initial time and then just rewatching for this episode? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then I didn't even know what it was about. And so, the first, like, I didn't know literally anything at all. So it took me, I think, probably 40, I think I texted you, Colin, it took me, like, well into the movie to be like, oh, Bronco Henry and Benedict Cumberbatch were probably in, or, like, I was, like, it was, like, going in completely blind. And so there's more of, like, <laughs> there's more puzzling and little things that I, like, the ending, like, blew me away because I had no idea what was happening. Anyway. I probably should have said that earlier, but I forgot. No, I think that's perfectly good, too. I think especially <laughs> with a movie that is this, like, talked about, that you went in blind and kind of took it all in for the first time. I wonder how much of that experience is different for me. Now that you I didn't know, really know much. that it's nominated. How much, how much did, what were you bringing into the movie with you? Because I feel like when Tierney and I mentioned it, yeah. we both just mentioned that we liked it, but I don't think we really mentioned specifics to you. But obviously, like, the movie's been out in the world for a while. It's been getting a lot of buzz for a while. So, like, what what were you bringing to your viewing experience out of curiosity? Right. Well, I read the Wikipedia. I mean, um, I, <laughs> so I have the entire plot synopsis. Um, <laughs> I've read the book several times. Um, no, I had heard one radio. Uh, it wasn't even, like, an interview. It was, like, a, a short review segment about Power of the Dog and Jane Campion kind of she brought to it um and all i knew was that phil uh is mad that his brother is getting married and uh has some feelings repressed and takes them out on her son and it's about this kind of escalation of his cruelty with this family and that's basically all i knew i knew it was gay i knew there was like a gay subtext Mm -hmm. and i based on that description I was like oh it's probably between Cumberbatch and um and Peter and yeah that's basically all I knew is that it was western slow burn Mm -hmm. gay subtext um I feel like you don't like westerns though right um I I'm I'm okay with westerns I like there are things about them that I really like, and in my mind, I like westerns. Mm-hmm. And then traditionally, when I watch them, I think they're a little either like straightforward or, um, yeah, or just kind of boring. Like older ones, I, I can I find boring. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think like something like There Will Be Blood, which is in the same time period of this movie. That's basically. not a western, though. Right, but they're both existing in this kind of like frontier. <laughs> like 1920s era I think that traditionally I'm pretty bored by okay. uh, and I love it in There Will Be Blood and in this I was like yeah this basically reads like any other dust bowly kind of Yeah I was going to say I, I wouldn't categorize I personally wouldn't categorize There Will Be Blood as a western but I definitely think there are elements of westerns in There Will mm-hmm. Be Blood Whereas, like, this I would definitely categorize as a Western. 
I think it's an real interesting. Okay. I mean, I, and also, I am not like super versed on westerns as like a film genre. Like, it is not something that I'm like mm-hmm. that interested in. Like, I've seen some of them. I, for the most part, enjoy them. But I'm I'm not like, oh my gosh, westerns are my shit, and I need to go track down as many as I can find. But I like. I I would consider Power of the Dog to be a Western, but I would not consider it to be, like, a traditional Western. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I've um, been forced to watch a lot of them, and it's definitely a Western. Forced um, to? Okay. What? Says the girl who actively <laughs> lived her life with Bonanza <laughs> as a child. <laughs> as a you child. You were forced to, to watch Westerns? <laughs> it was a not lot of Westerns. Just... <laughs> a lot of Westerns are shit. Uh, but my dad really likes them, and so we all watched them growing up. I did also, like, I don't know, want to ride a horse to school, so there are elements. <laughs> uh, is, is it because, like, you knew that you had friends who were riding horses to school, and you were jealous that you couldn't ride a horse to school? I didn't have because any friends you grew up... Oh, because I grew up... No, it's because you... you... <laughs> I grew up in on Little House on the Prairie. In in turn of the twentieth century. Yeah. You were besties with the March girls. <laughs> Except the March girls are like I don't like them. <laughs> you gossiped about the March girls. Yeah. That Joe is such an idiot. I hate her. Um But this is sort of relevant and this kind of goes I have a note here that I'm gonna reference. But I just want to point out that in the note, I specifically referred to Montana because I didn't know it was New Zealand. Uh, And this is just (laughs) the cinematography in Westerns. Usually landscape plays a pretty significant role, Uh, even though it's like on two bit cameras that are like look like someone just threw sand on the picture because they're so grainy. Um, I think the temptation and this is funny, given that I thought it was Montana, but the temptation with. Montana (laughs) or some of those big huge landscapes is to to show it like an aerial or to show it uh moving and like moving within it but because Mm -hmm. she keeps the camera still it looks enormous Mm -hmm. and I thought that was like it was it's a very different camera style you don't really see that style in many things at all anymore it's usually a moving camera Mm -hmm. And the fact that she kept it still and you just moved within that giant picture, I thought was so cool. <laughs> yeah. I, so to, and I mentioned this when I first introed, and to your point, Matt, that you don't want to lead the conversation, which is fine and fair. That's what I was I, trying to do, subtly. No, 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 no. I, no, you're, you did great. You did, yeah. yeah that you, was great. Um, I was just going to jump in and say, like, I don't know why I enjoyed this movie as much as I did. And, like, it's a thing that I... Like, I've seen it twice now. I enjoyed it quite a bit both times. But I'm, like, trying to wrap my brain around why. Because I think a lot of it is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. And I, like... There probably is more going on there, like, that I just either am not catching or am not interested in diving in. Because, like, what? You said there (laughs) There isn't. isn't. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of... Sorry, go ahead. 
Well, I was just gonna say, I just, like, there's a lot of, like, the technical aspects kind of drew me in, and then mm-hmm. once I was in, I was just like, yeah, okay, like, I'm I'm very curious to see where this is gonna go. And so, like, if the, the technical aspects were not really doing it for you, Matt, I could see, because, like, I like the story now, in retrospect, but as I was watching it, I was like, okay, like, what is happening? Um, and I do think that it is one that, like, you do appreciate it more once you have the final picture. Um, or at least I did. I appreciated it more once I had like the final, like once I knew the end point, I was like, Oh, this is where we were going all along. Okay, cool. Um, but I can see like, as you were watching it, there is a lot of like, what, what is the point? What is all of this? What are we leading to? Um, so for me, that didn't bother me as I was watching it because I was enjoying all the other stuff so much. And so like, to your point, Tierney, the movie starts with these gorgeous visuals in this incredible Johnny Greenwood score. And I was like, okay, I'm pretty in like from go. And then, you know, everything else happens. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to say. On top of that, I, just like I, I was sucked that's in. That's the podcast. I, that's it. That's it. The end. Know, we did kind it. Of, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There's really not much to say. <laughs> I also, I also took no notes on this movie. I have literally no notes at all. Um, and a couple times was like, should I pick up and like jot down some stuff? And I was like, you know, nothing's striking me right now. <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of still feel that way. I, I guess. Here's, here's maybe some leading questions. Maybe this is to illuminate moments that you found that I felt were missing. Uh, just some questions about things uh, related to the plot or at least development of the characters. One, do we get a clear sense of the courtship or relationship between Jesse Plemons and Kirsten Dunst? Uh, yeah, kind of, but it's not a healthy one. I was going to say, I think we get what evidence, what is evidence? Yeah. What is the evidence for that? That it's not healthy. Besides that he like gets her the piano and she's like, I don't know about this. He's like, no, you should play piano. Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't listen to her. He, I think he likes the idea of her, but he doesn't actually love her because he doesn't give a shit that his brother is abusing her. He doesn't stand up to her in front of his family, like his parents and the governor, which is what a weird dinner party that is. And just, like, leave... He just abandons her for, like, periods of time. Doesn't give a shit that she's, like, descending into alcoholism. He does not care about her. So I was going to say, to your question... To your specific question, Matt, I do... I I think we get enough of their courtship to establish what Tierney is saying. That this Mm -hmm. is not a good relationship. I think they were both... I think, like, we get enough early on in the movie that they were both, both just, like, lonely. looking for someone. Exactly. Uh-huh. They were just uh-huh. looking for someone, and that somebody just happened to be there. And so that is, like, we get all of that stuff. And, like, there's a line where, like, when he picks her up and is, like, driving her to the ranch, and they stop, and she just, like, wants to have a picnic. She wants to dance with him. And he's like, I, I can't dance. And she's like, oh, it's okay. Like, we can, like, it's uh-huh. fine. Like, we can just do this. And he, like, goes along, like, very much, like, going through the motions and then barely, you know, five steps into this dance, he just breaks away and then it's just, like, it's good not to be alone. 
And, like, is that really what you want your significant other to say to you? <laughs> like, when you, you're, like, you're, right. you know, going off together to, like, start your new life together. And it's not like, yes, I'm not a dancer, but I will do this thing because I know it's important to you. It's, I'm just so happy that I'm not alone. <laughs> So like, yeah, and and same thing for her. Like you can tell. Like I, I mean, she was obviously married before. Um, It sounds like the information that we get. It sounds like it was not that good of a relationship. Um, Like based on what Peter talks about his dad, and like, but we know that she was married. We know that she is no longer married, and she we see scenes of her just being frustrated with her life. And so when Jesse Plemons just shows up and is kind to her, like not even like in a romantic sense, just like is there and is just like sitting there while she does her stuff. Like I could, like I could see her. It makes sense for me in terms of like a character moment for for her to be like, okay, this guy's here. He's nice. Like that's all I'm looking for at this point. So like, I, I agree that there's not like, super well-developed, but I think it's developed enough to get the point across, which is that both of these people were just looking for somebody, and like Tierney said, it was just not a healthy relationship on either side. It sucks, too, because she's the one that still ends up alone for most of the movie. And even if he's there, she's still Mm -hmm. alone. And I think... The other thing that I think is uh, interesting is, like, the relationship between the two brothers. Because I think uh, you get little bits and pieces of Phil's story. Like, he's incredibly educated. Like, he went to Yale. He's, like, very smart. He... Missed the head. (laughs) (laughs) Missed the Yale part. They mention it once, and I think that's because that's why they wanted to talk to him at dinner so much. Exactly, like, oh. you're yell educated. Like, be nice to meet you and talk to you. So, like, but. it is very clear in like the bits that you get. It's very clear that Jesse Plemons' character George has just been grown like he's grown up and spent his entire life in his brother's sh- shadow, and so like he's everything that he's doing is trying to be like a worthwhile member of this family because everybody else is all about Phil and he like he's basically just like the like the dinner party which I agree with you is like very bizarre like that group of people is very bizarre but I I read it as like him being like okay I'm married now like I've done something that he hasn't done and like I'm going Uh to get the the governor to come here and like I'm going to start like you know, I'm going to start blossoming as a person through these channels. Like I'm going to, and I think that's, I think that's where he's gone when he like leaves for all that time. I think he's like trying to establish, I I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily like thinking he's going to like run for office or anything, but I think he's like trying to establish who he is outside of his brother and outside of this ranch, which just ends up leaving her alone with Phil all the time. So like, I think that all of the characters are established well enough that I was like, I wasn't wanting for more. If that answers your question, Matt, which I like, again, it's like a me thing and not a, like, I could see why that would not be like, I could see how somebody would have an issue getting there, but. And 
I think like, and then maybe this is this is a guiding conversation point. But like, what are the arcs of the characters? What what changes or is different from beginning to the end for any of the characters? Uh, any of the main four characters. So, well, the, I mean. One of them's alive at the beginning and dead at the end, so that's a... <laughs> yeah, that's one difference. But is he mean <laughs> no, no, in the beginning? I, I'm just kidding. What? Right. But is he? He's mean in the beginning. Yeah. And is he really nice at the end? No. It's from a okay. place of defense, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, right. But it's I don't know. I think it's a place of defense, but then I think he also there's like a bit of fondness he starts to develop for Peter. I don't know if he like is nice to him. Um, I mean, they they throw pieces of wood on a pile to try and scare a rabbit out. That's a bit, like, I don't know, murdery. But um, I feel like, and this is something I noted um, during the, like, Rose's devolu- devol- devolution, is that how you pronounce it? When um, mm-hmm. Jesse Plemons is away and it's just Phil in the house and like the mind games he plays on her is like very, it's very Gothic romance Mm -hmm. and uh, like, just like it's, it's like a, it's twisted. It's like pretty cynical. And I watched the um, behind the scenes thing on Netflix. Oh, I was going to check that out and I just totally forgot. Jane Campion talks about how she had a babysitter when she was younger who was super mean to her and her sister. And so the concept of knowing where someone is in the house at all times is something you know, like, and that's where I feel like the, it's, it is a movie of subtleties. I will, mm-hmm. <laughs> I will admit that. But like, Rose knows where Phil is at all times. And I feel like if you, it's just, it's basically just abuse is really yeah. it's like you're seeing roses she's incapable incapable of dealing with his abuse and um just like the paranoia that comes with it and then you have pete is kind of the denying that it exists until it reaches a turning point that he starts to do something about it and it's because of what's happening to his mom and so it's like different and then George just completely <laughs> ignores it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like three different ways to, I guess, like look at something like that. Um, but again, it's all like, and that's where I can totally see where you're coming from. Cause those are all, it's a book originally, but those are all mm-hmm. things that happen inside someone's head. It's hard to like show it. And that's where it ends up being a movie of subtleties is because it's like, how do you show what's going on in someone's head? But it yeah. is like, I thought, I, I don't know. I thought it was, I also like, I can't remember what I was reading, <clears throat> but it was like knowing someone's footsteps, the sound of certain people's footsteps and paces is like often uh, like a sign <laughs> of them potentially like knowing their sound and footsteps and then how, like, and being afraid is often, like, a sign of, like, they probably are abusive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. But. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I makes thought sense. that that was, like, a cool, like, exploration of it in the movie. But I do get where, like, if you, 
if you read the book, you would have gotten all of that. But if you're just watching the movie, it's just, like, little things to where it's, like, not as compelling as, like, an Avengers fight. <laughs> well, and so besides him playing banjo when she's rehearsing... So... And then making fun of her for not getting it right in front of the governor. What other... I And I, I this might actually be a question, just like I'm forgetting. Like, what other things does he do to her while Phil is away to torture her? I mean, so... He is always whistling the tune. And, like, it's the same tune that she oh, was trying right. to play on the piano. And she was not playing very well, which, like... In her defense, she said that she was not a good play. Like, she was not Mm -hmm. that good. But it was like, she was trying to play that one specific song. And he came in. And I think it's a... I I don't know for sure, but I think it's like a a classical song. Like, a relatively well-known song. I definitely knew it. But I don't know what Um, it is. But she came in. So she's trying to play that. She can't very well. And he comes in and immediately starts playing it on the banjo perfectly. And I don't... know, right. Right, I'm just saying, like, I don't know if that's necessarily, like, a commentary on his skill at banjo or a commentary on his, like, classical upbringing. But, like, he is... Him being a dick. (laughs) Yes, and him being an asshole. Right. It's obviously that. Um... But, like, he starts playing it immediately, She and then she's just like, okay, I guess I'm done here. But then ev- that what the song that he's whistling is that song. So, like, he's just always whistling it around the house. Mm-hmm. And, like, anytime he sees her, he just, like, all he needs to do is to just whistle those notes. And it's and he knows that he will send her, send her off. So, like, I don't know if it's, like, he's specifically doing a lot of things or just the specter of him being around. Well, it it did start at her diner when he was like unruly. And then it's just, it's continued Mm -hmm. that. So he does continuously harass her son. Uh, I think he makes a couple comments about the fact that her husband uh, died by suicide. And then uh, just like the constant snooping and like trying to find, basically just always trying to catch her doing the wrong thing but i also watched this like two or three weeks ago so yeah well, i'm like there are definitely more stuff. but i can't think of them i i don't know if there actually is that much more like concrete stuff like i said i think it's just like there might not be there's stuff at dinner the fact that he wouldn't show up like he is a vile sure. character like he is like tyranny you were like he earlier you're like he's kind of sympathetic and i was like no he's not he's fucking awful there are moments where i do feel genuinely bad for him oh i mean he's (laughs) crying in his bedroom listening to them having sex and you're like what is going on with you but then but then (laughs) is the suggestion that he's mad that his brother is moving on and that he's losing his control over him or is he mad that he's hearing his brother have sex because he actually wants to be with his brother or oh. is he sad because he's not with somebody and is lonely so the f- and is sad? The first time I, I watched it, I thought it was a combination of one and two because I did not know anything about Bronco Henry, nor <laughs> that there were, like, homosexual undertones to this movie. So I was like, man, this dude sucks. <laughs> that, like, he's just like, well, I can't control my brother anymore. Like, I want to, I want to, yeah. like, have sex with my brother. But then this time watching it, I, like, actually wrote that down because I was, like, it actually, I don't know. I thought it was really sad that, like, 
it it ends up and it sheds light on everything with Rose and it or sheds a new light with everything on Rose in the sense that it's like a twisted jealousy to where he is jealous of the fact that his brother has someone and he had someone and that someone died. And so it's like mm-hmm. he he's like jealous that his brother is able to have that. And that's where I, that's where this time around I was like, oh, there are sympathetic moments. <laughs> Whereas the first time around I was like, this dude wants to have sex with his brother. <laughs> and maybe maybe I, yeah i don't know i d- i don't find him sympathetic at all <laughs> i think he's i think so the way i read his character is very much like a if i can't be happy no one can yeah mm-hmm. um which is like the thing that would have been would have made me happy was if bronco henry were still alive and i were with him not necessarily in a romantic sense but, like, if he were alive and I could be spending my time with him, that is what would make me happy. That is what I want. And if I can't have that, then nobody can have anything that would make them happy. So, like, I didn't read it as, like, he wants to be with his brother. I read it more as, like, he doesn't want his brother. Like, he wants to exert power over his brother. Sure. Because it makes him feel better about what he doesn't have. And then when his brother ends up coming up, like finding a relationship, he's like, okay, now I'm going to like try and ruin that relationship because I like, again, I don't want anybody to be happy if I can't be happy. So like in my, the way I saw the movie, the way I read the character is like, I don't think anything that he's doing is sympathetic because I think everything that he's doing is out of hatred. And so he's crying out of anger. I think, I mean, I think, I no, I think he's probably is crying out of, like, I wish that Bronco Henry were, were still here, but I don't think that that makes him sympathetic when everything else that he does is to try and ruin everyone else's life around him. Like, Fair. It's, I, it's like, okay, yeah, that sucks for you, but, like, there are, there are much healthier ways to deal with that than to just ruin everyone else's life. So it's I, not it doesn't everyone's, me... though. It's just Rose and Peter. Well, right, because everybody else worships him, and like all of the other ranch hands that work on the farm, like they're never like he like they don't have anything, like he doesn't right. need to tear any of them down because they already worship at the altar of Phil. So yeah. like, why is do he... we get? And besides them laughing at his jokes at dinner and then laughing at Cody, like besides the two times when they are making fun of Cody Smith McPhee, do we get other moments of them? Worshipping Phil. Yeah. There's the what scene where they're all... in the mountains? Yeah, and they're like, oh, come on, man, just tell us. He's like, well, if you can't see it, you can't see it. And they're like, oh, man. Okay. And, <laughs> and so they're saying that because they're like, what did Bronco Henry say he could see? And so a couple times they'll be like, tell us more about Bronco Henry. Or like, is that really something Bronco Henry said or saw? They've got a little plaque with Bronco Henry's saddle on it. And so did nobody think, did nobody see any sort of relationship between Bronco Henry and Phil? I wondered that. And why are, why is the importance of Bronco Henry that Phil has hinged on this unknown character that we see who is known by others, not a secret, at all and why 
is that used as some sort of secret relationship that only he holds special when it seems like everybody holds it special? Is it supposed to be a surprise that we learn that it's a romantic relationship at one point? Because it's fairly obvious from the beginning. But it also confuses hey, no. us to be it like... It wasn't for all of us. <laughs> sure. And I think it confuses it to be like, oh, was Bronco Henry like a father figure to them? Was he like a legend? What, like, what was this person to all of them? So the movie takes place in 1925 and Bronco Henry uh-huh. dies in 1904. So there's a 21 oh, okay. year difference between when Bronco Henry was alive and when the act, like the action of this story is taking place. So I don't think it's that crazy to assume that Bronco Henry in the 20 ish years that he's been dead, the legend of Bronco Henry could have got like, could have blown up now. The timeline doesn't make a ton of sense because no. Benedict Cumberbatch is like forty, and like Jesse yeah, Plemons is like is happening? So oh like that doesn't make a ton of sense. But the movie takes place in 1925, and like yes. so the the I I think it takes place over the course of like a year ish. So like the movie takes place in 1925 into 26, and like if you look at Bronco Henry's plaque, he died in 1904. So like, how old was he when he died? Like forty something. Uh, I was in his fifties. I did the math because I was so confused about the timeline. Yeah, and so Bronco Henry was an old man that young Benedict Cumberbatch had a relationship with prior to Yale, after Yale, concurrent to Yale. It could have. It. I would say prior to or concurrent. Like, and that's mostly just. I feel like it's kind of similar to Peter. Is really, yeah. The only the only evidence yeah. I have for that, and the fact that he would have been like twenty, eighteen yeah, to and twenty. I, I don't know enough about like, like, cattle herding, but like presumably that happens like once a year, right? Like you move all the cattle from one place to another, right? Like because that's what they're doing. At the I don't future. know. <laughs> yeah, who fucking knows. I mean, that's what they're doing at the beginning of the movie, right? Is like they're moving all the cattle, and he has that line where he's like, oh, Bronco, like 25 years ago, Bronco Henry did, like, took us on our first whatever. So, like, this happens once a year. Presumably, it happens, like, in the summer. Like, it seemed like it was in the summer. So, like, it would make sense that this was happening, like, when he was home from school. From Yale. From, yeah, like, yeah. From Yale. Or, I mean, in, in high between, school, I don't know. Like, he he clearly and, grew up on this ranch. Right. Because his parents... That's clear. His parents it's, owned the ranch. Yeah. And then he and, and his brother inherited the ranch. And, bet- and between years at Yale, his parents had him be a cowboy and then go back and be well-read and study. But also be a cowhand who goes off on journeys with a guy named Bronco Henry and sleeps in the same sack. I'm not saying that your explanation is wrong. I'm saying that those two things are so weird and far apart as a character's arc or development that you're like, okay, so he's into these muscle magazines that he maybe got when he was friends with Bronco Henry. They say Bronco Henry's name on them. So, so yeah, so then he got them when he was with him. And 
did meet him at Yale, probably. I think, like... What's happening? <laughs> yeah, I, you're... I truly don't know who the fuck Phil is for us to give a shit about his relationship with the kid, about his relationship with Bronco Henry, about Bronco Henry's relationship with the family, about his education at Yale. It's all just, he's mean. That's the only thing we actually get of Phil, is you're mean. He's mean, and he's really good at terrorizing people. But we really don't get a good sense of his Yale education, because he doesn't look like it. He never brings up topics that are, you know, books that he's read. Or... Do we, do, okay, fair. Do we need a sense of his Yale education? Because you're yeah, right. I didn't yes. even know it existed. Why? <laughs> Because why, who no, no, is why, he no, no, no. why do we need it? He, you're right. His character is... Why that, mention it then? His character is that he's mean. Yes. Okay. But, like, wh- what's wrong with adding these other things onto it? Again, I, like, I think... These are the most two-dimensional characters of any movie this year that I've seen, <laughs> where it's just, I'm an ineffective, like, coward. I'm a sad, lonely widow. I'm a weird potentially gay boy and I'm a mean cowhand. And really, there's not much more characterization besides Rose that. Rose and Pete had some. I thought Peter was well developed. I was gonna say, I mean maybe. I, I felt not that I was like, yeah, okay. I, mean, I feel like we're all over the place. <laughs> Try and get some sort of like so let's let's finish talking about your disdain of Phil before we start going <laughs> on all these different yeah. offshoots. I, again, I think the fact that he is educated and that everybody respects him because of that is important to the story, or at least important to the character relationships, as I mentioned, because I think it's, it's, it sh- helps to show you what the relationship is between the two brothers. So, like, I yeah. don't know. I personally don't need more than that. Like, and my question would be, does it make sense for all these uneducated farmhands to respect somebody who's educated when that educated person makes fun of people who are educated? Yeah, well, wouldn't I, it make him a part of them in the sense that he's relinquishing that part of yeah. him? But then why would they respect that in him? Why would they be like, it's cool that you're one of educated but one of us? No, no, no. So what, are you ta- what are you talking I think we're talking about different things. You're, no, because you're saying that they respect him because he's this like he's a he's a he's like the quintessential cowboy, right? But he's also well educated, and it seems like they respect him for that. I don't think that they do respect him for that. I think that like the governor and his parents respect him okay. for that. Okay. I think society okay. ex- respects him for that, and because of that, his younger brother is like this fucking sucks. I grew up under his shadow. I'm gonna try and do all these things to get out from under his shadow. Again, is how I interpreted the movie. I don't think that the other ranch hands give a shit that he went to Yale. Okay, sure. But I think that, okay. like, that the fact that he did go to Yale is important for an, another aspect. aspect. Okay. I get that. I, I got it now. I think when you were saying they respect, I think oh. you were talking about the parents and the governor, but I was thinking the cow hands. Yeah. Because they admire him and they love him. No, and I think that, like... Yeah, I think that the the fact that like he like he never displays the like the well educated side of himself, except right? when he goes ever, to write his parents' he, 
and has perfect penmanship. Right. Like yeah. he, yes, he has perfect penmanship. And then like he owns a suit. Like when he goes to the doctor, like at the very end of the movie, he like takes off all of his like ranch, you know, like cowboy shit and like puts a suit on. So it's like, there are moments where you can tell that, okay, yes, that like there is that aspect of you, but mm -hmm. he never shows it to anybody else. He, to the point where he won't even take a bath to meet with his parents because he's just like, no, like I'm a fucking cowboy. I'll do whatever the hell I want to do. Mm -hmm. I, which is not to say that I think he's like a three dimensional character. Like, I think what you're saying is fair. Yeah. But it didn't bother me because I like, I was able to get what I needed from him. And again, I like, I think that he is just a vile character and so I don't need all this other, like, you just are an asshole. And so, like, that's enough for me to root against you. And, okay, yeah, I think, I think that's all I get to. Like, I don't feel any sympathy for him, and I don't think he has any sort of growth. No. And that's kind of the point of the movie. But then, in turn, it seems like people have also had a reaction to, we'll just skip to the ending, I guess, of just... Yes, like, I want to talk Peter, about the ending. <laughs> And especially because you said that it recontextualizes a lot of the puzzle pieces that you see earlier. And I think that's an important thing to talk about. But the idea that, like, uh, he doesn't change and Peter makes the decision he does to get him out of the picture to protect his mother. Um, but. And, like, what a clever decision that is. That's where I'm like, yes. how do you think Peter is two-dimensional? I think Peter is... There's I, so the most much going on. With it. I was gonna say, I it's it's I you can't say that it's Peter's movie, but I do think that like it Peter is Peter's has the, movie. I was like, I think Peter has the most interesting arc because in his first introduction to like the story slash Phil, he's this like meek little kid who gets made fun of, and like that's mostly who he is. But then. I, I interpreted everything that happens, I think in like chapter five or whatever, is him playing, like he knows who Phil is now. So he is going to play and he's going to make all of the right moves so that he can get Phil into his trap and he can do what he needs to do. So like every, like everything that he does basically from like after finding out what Phil is up to when he like sneaks away to the end of the movie is all like Peter being like, okay, here's what I need to do. And I'm going to like execute this plan. And like, he just like goes out, like nobody knows that he goes out there. He's just like, I'm going to go out there and try and find a dead cow so that at some point I can use this. Like, I know that this can come back and this can work for me later because I am going to school. I'm going to be a surgeon. I like, I have these books so, like, I'm going to go get this stuff, and then I'm just going to store it away, and I'm going to play the waiting game. And so, like, everything is, like, a long game for Peter in the last, like, you know, hour of the movie. But you even get the, the foreshadowing being... of it with him trapping all of those animals. Like, mm -hmm. Peter's pretty cunning. Yeah. And, He's pretty... and his plan is to get an, an anthrax-infected animal? Well, I think well, his plan a... is to just... A dead cow, they it's like a certain point of rot. It sounded like they got anthrax. I don't know. Okay. 
but it would it would be to just yeah, I'm not clear. Yeah. To like contaminate him or find a way to kill him. Yeah. I, so anthrax is in the cow. Yeah. Is yes. that right? Okay. Okay. I didn't know if it was in the wheat. No. Oh no. That they were like going through because then he's like, "Don't touch that. That's anthrax." And I was like, Wait, "The wheat or okay. the cow?" Got it. Okay. So and yeah, like the game. To your question, Matt, the game is just like to get rid of Phil. And he's going to do whatever he needs to do. And so he's like, again, like when he goes out to get that anthrax rawhide and when that comes back into play for his like final move is like a pretty significant amount of time between those two things. And so like to me, it was always very clear that he was like, I'm I'm playing a game here. I'm getting the, the pieces, the tools that I need to put my plan into action and I will strike when the moment is right. And, and it just so happened that the rawhides that were going to get burned I think were given away so that all of the rawhide left was the one that he was waiting to use at some point to poison him. I think that that's a red herring. I think the real reason he brings it up that day is because he cut his hand. And he's a doctor, so he would know you have an open wound. It's going to be... Like, it's going to go into, that all he needs to do is work with the rawhide, and it's going to go right into his hand. And then it happened that his mom sold them all, or traded them all. But I think yeah. the, he, no matter what happened, he was going to use it that day. Yeah, sorry, I should, I, I don't think I was explaining my, what I was thinking. I don't think his plan, I don't think that Peter's plan was specifically... I'm going to get this rawhide and then I'm going to make sure that my mom sells all of the other stuff so that I can make him use this. Right. I think Peter's plan was broadly, I need to get rid of Phil. What is the no, thing that is I think that the 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 point that made him like the turning yes. point that made him use it was not his mom selling the rawhide. It was no, the no, fact no, that I, he cut I his agree hand. with you. Yeah, yeah, that's no. what I'm saying. Like I his plan was I need to get rid of Phil. So in the meantime, I'm going, what tools do I have at my disposal to do that? And like getting some poison rawhide is a tool that I have at my disposal that I could hide easily. So I'm going to get that. And then I'm just going to hold on to it until I can use it. And then what you were saying, Tierney, when he sees that Phil cut his hand and then also they get back and find out that all of the other stuff is gone. I think that's when he's like, oh, now's my moment. <laughs> and Matt is and digesting. <laughs> I really think this movie is like nothing. Like it, it, like, like I, like all of this makes sense, but it's also like that moment is when it, it matters. Like everything is like just in the moment, and I really don't think there's a lot of setup, and even. Like, the first time that Phil sees Peter, instantly you know that he's attracted to him. At least I did. Like, the look on his face of, like, oh, like, who's this effeminate young man mm-hmm. who I have noticed? And the decision to then be like, oh, but I'm going to make fun of him because that's what you do when you're repressed. Yeah. So, like, that was obvious, and at no point does that change. And yes, I think Peter is the most is the most fleshed out. I think it's a surprise when you discover that he's 
cut up the bunny and is like doing surgical things or the on this bunny. Hooping. <laughs> yeah, when he's which like, is like I need to go vent. Totally psychotic. Yeah, <laughs> made me laugh. And I think that. I mean, but, but how I, else and I do you that's... deal with your anxiety in 1925? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, hula hooping seems like a very reasonable way to deal with some stress. <laughs> yeah. I, it just feels like the whole plan is, like, either very convenient in every single way. It's just very convenient that all of the rawhides are gone. You did get anthrax rawhide, and it's just been bacon in the sun it just so happens that he decided that he wants to make a rope for you and it just so happens that he has a cut on his hand and so it's it's kind of like okay yeah all those things are happening at once on this particular day unrelated to your machinations he had really no control over any of those situations to know that this could even be a plan until that moment. And then being like, I guess now is the time that I will use this rawhide because he's making a rope for me and he has a cut in his hand and there's no other rawhides left. I would disagree that he had no... Ma- like, I think he is manipulating Phil for the whole last act of the movie. Yeah. As soon as Purpose- he finds those magazines, he's playing Phil. And right. you, right. you're led to win his trust. No, to but what? to find out how to kill him. Yeah, is a hundred percent what he's playing at. To find like the the like weak spot in the armor. And I also think that like Peter is smart enough to know that he can't just straight up murder him. Right. So like but, he needs to figure out a way that he can kill him without it being able to come back to him. And so I think that's where, like, a lot of the, like, I agree with you. Like, there are a lot of, like, coincidences that all seem to happen right at the same time. Like, I, yes, that's, you're not wrong. But again, I read it as, like, he was just going to get the anthrax and then wait until he could use it. And then it came clear that, like, now is when I'm going to use it. So, like, all the things that, like, allowed him to get to that point were kind of convenient and kind of coincidental. But it's like, like that, was, uh, sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say, like, to, to your point, Tierney, he was like, what is, like, what is the thing that I could do in theory to get him to, like, to get what I want? Like, I, what do I know about Bronco Henry? He, like, he likes rawhides and he likes to make ropes. He likes to deal with, like, play with them with his hands. So what's a thing that I could do at some point to get him to use that against himself? It's like the career advice that's, like, you make your own luck where you do all the hard work and then wait for the moment when the iron is hot mm-hmm. and then you go in. That's how I saw it. I do see how it could come across the other way. I'm for not sure. trying I'm to invalidate you, Tierney, what I, you're saying. Yeah, uh, I agree. But I, and I thought he was a little bit more cunning. And I think it's certainly like, I mean, he's holding the rope at the end with gloves on and then tucks it underneath his bed, which like, Yes, it's a movie of subtleties, but is it a movie of subtleties is my question. Uh, and so we know that he's the one who did it. He looks out of the window and he's happy that his mom is free of Phil. She kisses George, 
Who's also and, free of Phil, and maybe will stop being such a shit to his wife. Maybe. I mean, sure. <laughs> maybe. We don't really know what their relationship is besides that he's gone all the time and that he's nice. Yeah. But he's not very effective. And, and now we know that, you know, Peter will do what needs to be done in order to protect his mom. Is there a sense that he'll ever use his murder inclinations again? No, not really. Does that mean that anything that he did has changed his character? No, he was a scientist. He was a doctor, and he did this very surgically, and he did it precisely, and now he's never going to use it again. But some people have been, like, eked by Peter, where they're like, oh, this, like, little freak, like, Mm. who's, like, operating on this rabbit and, like, is willing to murder some like he literally murders somebody but in the end it's like yeah but it's a fucker who had no redemptive arc mm-hmm. and that is the right thing to do I, so, in the end he looks in the bible and he reads the passage and goes okay i did what the bible told me to do that, i'm a good person i legit i still don't understand the title and i don't understand the bible like i don't <laughs> I think it just means i yeah. don't i <laughs> That's right. the well, quote. you know, that's a different conversation for a different <laughs> podcast. No, but I, I don't understand. I don't understand the title. Like, other than the fact there's a dog on the mountain, I don't get what the fuck yeah. the power of the dog is. I guess. Is it Phil? The dog is, yes. Okay. I think it's like the aggressor is the dog. And in the passage, it's basically saying, like, protect wh- however you need to protect the good person from the power of the dog like that's what you i don't remember what the first part of the quote deliver is. my soul from the sword my darling from the power of the dog my darling being the mom mm-hmm. the power of the dog being like phil phil's and abuse. yeah phil's abusive behavior right yeah. and the sword being anthrax which <laughs> don't even consider ant like never even heard of anthrax before it was mailed around the country in the early 2000s <laughs> and so the fact that we're like jumping back in time to be like oh hey Watch out for that. That's anthrax. I was like, anthrax? That's and then for that to be the point of the movie, I was like, whoa, okay, wow. <laughs> so Anthrax, interesting. Uh, I texted Tierney, and I did not text you, mostly because I wanted to hear your thoughts uh-huh. uh, on this pod, but also because Tierney had seen it before. So when I started rewatching it last night, I had completely forgotten that this movie starts with an opening line of voiceover dialogue from Peter where he says, when my father died, the only thing I wanted was for my mother to be happy for what kind of man would I be if I did not help her? And so that is like the opening line of dialogue is like Peter saying that he's going to do what he's going to do to help his mother be happy. Mm -hmm. And then less than three minutes later, like very early on in the movie, an early line of dialogue from one of the from Phil is when they're on like the like they're you know moving the cattle and Phil says stay away from that if you see a dead cattle stay away from it it's probably got anthrax and so I was like oh shit I did not realize that this movie like at the very beginning of this movie tells you what is going to happen at the end of this movie so well Um, Which I just thought was, like, a really cool thing that I had completely missed the first time around and caught the second time around. But then I texted Tierney that. (laughs) I'm going to read your response for me. Oh, no. It was so funny. (laughs) Um, I texted Tierney. (laughs) 
Tierney. She, I'm with you if you didn't understand it, but let's see what this <laughs> no, She it's... says, I caught that anthrax line the first go around because I was like picturing envelopes full of powdered dust <laughs> and the cows just uh-huh. hoovering them up. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, to be fair, like, I Same. also was unaware that this was, like, a use of, like, this, I had not heard yeah. of Anthrax until post 9-11, you know, like, I, <laughs> I'm right there with both of you, but I, and I, like, I had also heard the Anthrax line at the beginning. I didn't make the thought jump that Tyranny did, but I was just like, okay, that's an interesting piece of information that apparently will pay off later. But yeah, I just, yeah. like, Tyranny's text, <laughs> the image of cows hoovering up. <laughs> <laughs> envelopes full of powder in 1925 yeah. was very funny. So. Did you send that in the... Did I respond to that in the morning? No, you sent it. You, you texted me back last night. Oh, it was, it was at night? I was going to say, yeah. I, f- I just remember being, like, not entirely awake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, texting that. Um, I do think um, watching this a second time, you do... There's a lot of... And part of it is because I was trying so hard to figure out what was going on, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of foreshadowing. Um, also, did you guys know it was based on a book? Yeah. Uh, only after it was over. I only knew from watching the behind the scenes. <laughs> oh. You really got to read those credits. <laughs> I turned it off the second they turned on. <laughs> Well, I mean, Netflix doesn't let you read its credits because as soon as the credits That's roll, true. it's like, here, eight seconds from now, I'm going to show you this new bullshit TV show that we've got. Like, enjoy. Yeah. Oh, and also to touch on something at the very beginning of the conversation, I did know that this was filmed in New Zealand because uh, the first credit on the film is the New Zealand Film Council. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, New Zealand. And then it was like Montana. And I was like, oh, I see. Montana is doubling is New Zealand well, is Montana. Jane Campion is from New Zealand, so I just assumed that she got funding right. to film in the U.S. That's why oh, right. I thought it was Montana. But, oh, I see. Okay. But then, yeah. like, you, just, have, yeah. you have the pivot guy from Hunt for the Wilder People, and so I was like, oh, she's cast all of the good ones from New Zealand. <laughs> I was Just gonna, kidding. So Joel also, it was me. filmed during COVID, so obviously it was in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, good point. Uh, Joel texted me learning that I was like oh duh and it's also in Otago in uh, Dunedin in the South Island which I was like I've fucking driven through there (laughs) (laughs) but I've also driven through Montana so you know Um, friend of the pop Joel texted me when he watched Power the Dog and one of his things was like it's so weird (laughs) that they got Thomas and Mackenzie to basically do nothing in oh, this movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, that is true, but also, like, she also is from New Zealand, and this was filmed during COVID, so I wonder if they were just like, well, just, we need somebody for this role. <laughs> so, like, like, you're around, can you... And, like, you know, COVID doesn't exist here, so, like, can you just come and, and shoot a couple scenes for a couple days? Yeah. Um, I saw, I think in the behind the scenes, there was a scene of hers that was cut. I, that's not surprising. Mm. There where she's like uh, interviewing for the role. Interesting. So she's her whole character is not being surprised that a bunny has been murdered, <laughs> and being or really excited to more. keep keep score of a tennis game. <laughs> yeah, such a big arc. Um, okay, so petty. 
I really did not like this movie. Even talking about it, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I think the thing is that I'm mad about is that I do get all of that. I like, I do, and still hate it. And still, I think it's like, and and what, and who cares? So and so what? I agree with you, and I think that that's a fair read. Yeah. I think the final thing I'm going to say about this movie is. Does it it's need cool a when an asshole gets what's coming to him. So, like... Yeah, I love John Wick. <laughs> John Wick for best picture. But, okay, I'm not but trying Jen, to say this that is... this movie is, like, the best thing that's ever happened. I like this movie, but I also would not say that this is the best... Like, it's not going to be my number one movie of the year. But, like, I was enjoying... Like, I enjoyed the ride, and when a guy who's, like, very clearly an asshole for two hours gets got i'm like that was dope yeah good job by everyone involved killing this fucker (laughs) yeah uh genuine question though uh in terms of like the it sounds like you were like what what's the so what what's the point of this story is that like what's the point of it within itself or like why are we telling this story because sometimes i feel like a story is just a story. Like, it doesn't need to have, like, a... This is why I'm telling the story. But I was curious whether yours is, like, within... I'm not saying that's the case here. I'm just saying, like, sometimes... I don't know. No, yeah. You look at Brooklyn, the movie Brooklyn, it's just a story. It's not yeah. like, well, this is a commentary on... Uh, uh, I suppose it could be a commentary on immigration. But, like, I'm... Trying to like ten things I hate about you is is a, is a story, right? I think with this, I'm like, so we don't really get to spend time or like really explore the relationship between George and uh, what is Kirsten Dunst's character's name? Rose. Rose. We don't really explore their relationship besides the handful of scenes at the beginning, and then it's basically not anything in the later half of the movie. We don't really get to explore, you know, how repressed Benedict Cumberbatch is besides he goes to a field and he smells a cloth. And jerks off with it. Sure. Okay. (laughs) We don't really get to explore uh, the relationship between George, or between Peter and Phil. Because it's really only in the last handful of scenes where they go on some little mini missions together and have missions. a couple conversations. <laughs> mini, little mini missions. I, so I would, what are we doing so it's, in would, this movie? So besides it's waiting so around within the story, not a so what in a broader context. Right, because the okay. so what is like, oh, this, like, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth, that, like, this little un- unassuming child murders this big... It's David versus Goliath, and David wins. And, like, that's the story. But, like, we don't really see an escalation of tension between Peter and Phil. We don't really see an escalation of tension between Rose and Phil. He's just kind of the same beat over and over again. We don't really see an escalation of conflict between George and Phil, because George never stands up to Phil. We don't really see the secret that Phil has posing him any real threat besides that Peter knows about it and then later uses it as a weapon. 
And so we really don't get an escalation of anything. It's just like people are in their vicinity and then and then a decision is made, somebody gets married, somebody kills the other one, and then we just keep moving. We don't get a lot of big scenes between characters where you understand what their stakes are with each other. Everyone just kind of goes along with things until someone's dead. So I again, yeah, I feel I'm like not it's implicit. I I was gonna say I feel like I got all of that from the movie. I I can see how you don't, and I think yeah. like, your interpretation is fair. But I got those things from this movie. I don't like I got enough of those like I got enough scenes of these characters that I understand the relationships between them. I don't need more scenes between them to to get to a point where she's terrified of him being around. What if, I got enough what, scenes of him terrorizing her that I was like, yeah, she'd be fucking terrified. And there's a time jump between each of these little chapters, so I can assume that things have gotten mm-hmm. worse. I don't need to see it get worse because, you know, I I can I know how time works. So, which again, I I think where you're coming from is very fair and valid. And I'm not trying to convince you that you're wrong or that you need to give this movie another shot. I just, for me, I was able to get enough of this movie or enough from this movie that the qualms that are holding you up did not hold me up. And I'm also not trying to convince you that those things didn't matter. But I'm like, I think that's where I'm so frustrated is because I'm like, yeah, we saw all the same, same things and it had a totally different impact. And it's so frustrating it's that, okay. Like, no, I want to like this movie, and so I do. Actually, this is the best movie of the year. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke, but I couldn't figure out how to how to properly do a setup of just the hungry boy from Phantom Thread. Is 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 you want you want more? You're the hungry boy. You yeah. want more drama. You don't want think, you don't want. And I think actually, I think you've made a similar complaint. On we've talked about uh, certain like BBC shows and where everything it's what isn't said is a lot of where the drama comes from and I feel like you've made a similar complaint of just being like so what <laughs> truly though so the fuck what and I think to compare it to two movies from 2007 that I think have similarities to this uh, the same thing that frustrated me in the, uh, No Country for Old Men was that you really skip the climax. You really won't let like, that one go. Yeah, no. It's Fuck never, no. It's never gonna go. <laughs> Hate it. And like, yeah, these are both based on books. And yeah, they probably both skip the climax. But also, fuck off. Uh, and then two, There Will Be Blood is a constant like tit for tat between Plainview and Sunday. Just like one little more annoyance and one more little annoyance and one more, like, and this That's tension different that dynamic between though. the two of them. <clears throat> sure. But Sunday's still very cordial and it drives Plainview crazy. And in this, we like don't really spend enough time with Phil and Peter to like get that same kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it wasn't like an escalation of the two of them getting meaner and meaner to each other. But even if it was like we thought he was getting more lured by him and like attracted to who Phil could make him be, this like 
tough boy ranch guy and all for it to be a ploy, I feel like we don't get enough to even trust that that's what's going on. It's just kind of like, oh, he's like trying to make it easier and nicer. And oh, actually, it was a ploy. Anyway, I don't know. That's just, there's, there's no point in complaining. I'm surprised you don't like more old Hollywood movies where people meet someone and then they're like i love you so much i could never live a day without you or it's just like over the top well because i want everything i want the scenes i want the scenes of like true relationship building which i think this movie doesn't have no but i think like this movie almost feels like an old movie and people just being like i've decided to marry her i've decided to torture her Uh, now i'm moving to the farm I'm, like, not... I'm going to dissect this rabbit. Like, everyone is just, like, deciding, and then there's no actual, like, exploration of what those feelings are, or what they mean to another person. They just, like, happen. People move on. Kirsten Dunst literally slugs down a drink, and the next scene, she's an alcoholic. Boom. Bing. Bam. Like, no... No build. She's just suddenly way into whiskey. Overnight. So... Kirsten Dunn's character, one of the first things we learn about her is that she doesn't like alcohol. She says that she never touches the stuff. And then she moves to the house and she's being pressured by her husband to perform uh-huh. a concert. And yeah. she can't. And she's so uncomfortable that she takes a drink. She just drinks the drink. And then we see her hiding booze in like the closet or whatever. And mm-hmm. then we see her like full-on alcoholism but all of those things take place over the course of like at least six months if not longer and it's great that it's clear i think the it's very seasons clear. change like, the seasons change the chapter sorry we're not change. all like, la boys now yeah like, we still <laughs> have seasons over here <laughs> i'm just joking 10 out of 10 stars. (laughs) 5 out of 10. Uh, Okay, so I know I said the last thing I'm going to say, but I do want to say one more thing. Uh, Matt, I'm just so happy that your number one boy, Jesse Plemons, is in this movie. (laughs) He is as unexciting as he's ever been in this movie. I think he's a legitimately good actor, and I think, like, him in Game Night, I was like, oh, yeah, this is great Jesse Plemons. And in this... I don't even know what he does that is noteworthy. Well, he and his wife are both, or he and his partner, I don't think they're married yet, but he and his partner are both nominated for Oscars, and good for them. Who's his partner? Kirsten Dunst. They're married in real life. Really? Are they married, or are they just engaged? I think they're married because they have kids. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm pretty sure they're, yeah, I'm pretty sure they did get married. They met on the set of Fargo, and then they waited a year, and then they started dating. It's very cute. According to Wikipedia, they're just engaged, so... No, they're married. (laughs) Colin. I've been there. So, this is... Matt, I texted Colin when he was watching it and said something along the lines of my favorite line from the movie. Were you able to guess what it was? Oh, no. I honestly forgot that you had asked me to do that. (laughs) It's a throwaway line. And... (laughs) so it's something that i first time i watched it was like i noticed and i was like why do they look so weird (laughs) 
But it's when Peter's walking down that aisle between all the tents to look at the bird. And then it like the camera pans. And I think it's someone sitting behind Phil turns to the guy next to him and just goes, did no one tell him to soak his jeans? Because <laughs> they're so stiff. And they're b- dark blue. Yeah. They look like new H&M jeans. Oh, my God. Like skateboarder jeans that are like basically yeah. like, I don't know, sandpaper. But it's yeah. just such a throwaway line. I, I did it. also hear that. And I was like, oh, it's weird to see jeans. In tennis shoes in 1925. Yeah. In their original place. Like jeans were meant for this. Yeah. And so I was like, that's weird. That, like they just look like they're wearing wearing barbecue going jeans. <laughs> Did no one ever tell him to soak his jeans? I've thought of that line almost every time I've worn jeans since then. <laughs> That's, That's the full quote. <laughs> anyway. Um what uh so tattoo ideas. Matt, what was your <laughs> give me all of your ideas. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you the had mountain. plenty. <laughs> the dog on the mountain. I was gonna say that one it's like seems obvious, but like the it actually did look really cool. Or paper like the, rose. The rope. Paper rose. The rope. The paper rose. Uh the muscle magazines. <laughs> Phil covered in mud. Just <laughs> Oh, oh covering himself in mud. How did we what what were your thoughts on Benedict Cumberbatch's uh cucumber? Blink if you miss it. This Blink is if... <laughs> a podcast, Colin. This isn't a private chat. Well no, but here's the here's the deal. Okay, first uh, of all <laughs> Didn't notice anything. We talked about it in Nightmare Alley. I was, like, like we this is know. not the first time something like this has come up. Second of all No, we've talked about it. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway. This one people had talked about it. Blink if you miss it. A vile person, so it's not even fun. And it's covered in mud. Who cares? <laughs> this movie couldn't have checked less boxes for me. There's some movies that, like, go down the list, and I'm like, check, check, check. And this movie, everything was, like, a scratch out. I just, like, scratched out the thing. Do you know what both Jane Campion movies I've seen have in common? Full, Full frontal, frontal male, male nudity. nudity. In the Cut with Mark Ruffalo, also Jane Campion movie, Mark Ruffalo shows frontal. I so, mean, I'm telling her. you, we'll if more women made one. movies, there'd be more full frontal male nudity. Yeah, it's true. You're also, just <laughs> you are not her, wrong. her directing style. I thought, I mean, Matt, you have your thoughts on the movie that are yeah, totally I'll, valid, I'll, but I think that her yeah. directing style is there's like a certain. I was texting you guys, but there's a certain like grace to it, mm-hmm. where it's like, I don't know, it's very, it's like a very soft subtleness yeah but i i uh, want her the, to win best the piano picture. just came Your best out. director oh. sorry mm-hmm. yeah i'm same uh especially since they didn't even nominate denis <laughs> like what did he uh, make this year dune oh right dennis villanuvi um the piano just came out on criterion blu-ray so the next time they do a sale I'm planning on picking it up, and then it'll sit on my movie shelf. And Sam Neill is such an asshole in that, and it's so disappointing. <laughs> oh, wow. It's like true. I was texting one of my friends after I saw it. I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> She's like, "He makes me so mad in that movie." I'm like, "Yes, they should have switched casting of him and Harvey Keitel." Anyway. <laughs> 
Um, would you guys watch this movie on an airplane? Probs. <laughs> Matt, are you ever going to watch this movie again in your life? <laughs> Regardless <No>. of setting. <laughs> you know, who knows what the future may hold? Don't plan on it. As the Magic 8 Ball would say, don't plan on it. <laughs> future does not, outlook does not look positive. Yeah, like outlook not looking good or yeah. whatever. Ask again yeah. later. <laughs> I think Ask Again Later is the perfect one here. Yeah, exactly. Um, would you guys spend time on this film set? Hell yeah. Fuck no. <laughs> I mean, I could go to New Zealand for other things. Would not want to spend time on this set. Would be bored out of my mind. Okay. I would try to find real anthrax just to get out of being on that set. You cannot I forgot tell you me. don't like being outside. I'm not an outside boy. You cannot tell me that you would pass up an opportunity to, A, be in New Zealand, B, be in New Zealand during COVID, which is, like, one of the only places on the planet anybody actually wanted to C, be. C, Otago C, is, like, a wine country. D, hanging out with Kirsten Dunst and being able to talk to her about Drop Dead Gorgeous till your heart's content. You can't tell me that you wouldn't want to do that. I'll get her on some other set. <laughs> She's just going to be chatting with her boyfriend anyway. Why would I even want to? What, are you going to chat with her on fucking Spider-Man? Probably. God. Of course you don't <laughs> like this movie. You like Spider-Man. Uh-huh. I love Spider-Man. Do you actually like the first one? Yeah. I think the oh. first and the second one are great. Oh. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. <laughs> is what Cody Smith McPhee says in this movie. <laughs> As he's tearing up a rabbit. <laughs> do you think? Do you think on the way to audition for this movie, Kirsten Dunst went, "I'm headed to audition." <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, what are the other categories uh, that we have to do? The email do you I know sent how you guys much I was. Sacrificed? <laughs> Should we just let Tierney keep quoting this movie that she supposedly hates but also has memorized? My no, it's because my brother was obsessed with it, and so I've seen it hundreds of times but we used to rewind and play <laughs> like at one point when the green goblin gets kicked at that fight in the end or no sorry he kicks spider-man spider-man hits the ground and goes ah! i'm not even kidding watch it he goes ah! when he hits the ground <laughs> sounds like a turtle fucking a shoe <laughs> <laughs> oh god i forgot about that video never forget <laughs> um the email i sent you guys was sherlock the gay cowboy you know barely gay <laughs> <laughs> not sherlock the not quite gay enough for matt's taste mm -hmm. cowboy <laughs> again like i said with luca if these movies want to be considered gay canon somebody better be spitting in somebody else's mouth <laughs> Grabbing Can you a harness. Imagine if they did that in Luca. I suppose actually that'd be the best way to do it. They could just do fountains in each other's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Luca is the exact same. So weird. Same, this Disney Pixar movie has full frontal nudity. <laughs> Nothing God. else about the movie changes except they add one extremely R-rated sequence right in the middle. And let's and let's be clear, it's a flash forward. So these are full-grown men. In this Pixar scene. 
Oh my god. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, like they just see two mermen just doing it with their little <laughs> sea monster bodies and they're like, "What's going on there?" Just slipping they and sliding. They look at some old magazine. Yeah, they they find some old weightlifting magazines of mermen <laughs> naked. Oh god. Um all right, then the last category is Oscars. So this movie <laughs> earmuffs Matt. <laughs> I know. I know it already. I know all of it. <laughs> this movie is leading the nominations mm-hmm. with 12. Sure 12 total. 12 wow. total. How did they even find 12 things about this movie? How dare you? <laughs> all right. So instead of going through all of them, what are the ones we, we and by we, I mean you and me, Tierney. <laughs> Matt, you can chime in if you actually feel Director, strongly about any of them. cinematography, and music. Yeah, so I've been holding on to this take for the entire movie, um, or the entire podcast. Uh, I think I like this score better than Phantom Thread. Damn. I'm going to leave this meeting. (laughs) (laughs) To besmirch the score of Phantom Thread with this troll. (laughs) This score is so good. <laughs> it is really good, but it won't pass Phantom Thread. Don't you dare fucking bite me. Sorry. What if that wasn't... What if What if we hadn't established that that, that you had a dog? <laughs> and you just said that, and everybody's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, just your opinion results in us biting. <laughs> for, the, for our listener and for you guys can't see, I have just simply been holding my hand here for the last, I don't know, 50 minutes... And he just nudges my hand around and pets. Look at this little bitch. <laughs> anyway, Getting it where he can. I can't. Uh, I, I, I can't rest my hand without him like walking into it and smashing it around <laughs> to pet himself. I texted you guys uh, a couple days ago because one of the songs from this score popped up on a Spotify mix that I was listening to, and I was like, I think I'm gonna be really angry if this doesn't win best score. And I was like looking Who's at the rest against? of the list. Uh, Don't look up. Dune, Encanto, Parallel Mothers, and then Power of the Dog. I don't really care about any of those, actually. So sure. <laughs> <laughs> I I hate you so much, man. Heartbroken. <laughs> this year is so unexciting for me, and it's all my fault. Uh, cinematography, Dune, Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, Tragedy of Macbeth, and West Side Story. Tragedy of Macbeth. Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, I think... That movie's lighting's dope. I think I would... I would... I would... Currently, between Power of the Dog and Tragedy of Macbeth. I haven't seen Tragedy of Macbeth. But again, I... Tragedy of Macbeth, I think... Like, I want that to win production design more than I want it to win cinematography. I was going to maybe watch it. This was like a week ago. And uh, was, was the, the following quote was said. Do we really need another adaptation of a fucking Shakespeare play? Uh-huh. <laughs> the answer like, is no, good, for the record. That's a good-ass point. And then I was like, maybe I don't want to watch this anymore. And then the follow-up line was specifically Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really funny. There are I some, didn't say it. I can't take credit. There are some really cool 
things that they do in this. A- I mean, I have not I have not yeah. seen a lot of adaptations of Macbeth, but there are some really cool things that they do in this version that I think are noteworthy. Yeah. But when you're watching it, you're like, "Yep, this is still Macbeth." <laughs> like yeah, one more Shakespeare. <laughs> We're doing it one more time. Is this nominated um, for best adapted screenplay? Of course it was. Who's up? Who's it up against? Coda, Drive My Car, Dune, and The Lost Daughter. <laughs> Ugh. Lost Daughter. Ugh. I'm really pulling like for Dune in that car category. Will... Oh, I've heard I mean, great I... things about Drive My Car. I think Drive My Car is really good, but I'm personally pulling for Dune in that particular category. And then who's I just yeah. who's director? Uh, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, uh, Rice UK, Hamaguchi for Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. I say Jane Campion. Yeah, I, I would go with Jane here as well. <laughs> a shame. Matt, Matt's over here just standing for Belfast. <laughs> I mean, no one's talking about how it's the best movie of the year. I, re- I might, you know, I might schedule something for the Oscars. You know. <laughs> I might tap out on this one. I haven't watched a single live television event, excluding the World Cup, which you can go to a bar or watch on Colin's Hulu account. But I haven't watched a single live television event since we lived together. You watched wow. at least a little bit of the Super Bowl. You watched the halftime show. Oh, yeah, but that wasn't at my house. Oh, and you it was haven't watched ten minutes. Your house. Oh well, it was supposed to be ten minutes, but I had to wait through twenty-five minutes of what was three minutes of actual action. In order well, to here's get all there. I'm saying is that you can't say that you haven't watched live TV when you very clearly have watched I live saying, TV. A I week said and a half I ago. haven't watched a live television <laughs> event, meaning like I haven't sat down. I think since the, the Super Moonlight Bowl halftime Oscars, show is an event. It's part of a larger event. It's its own event. It's it's sponsored Whatever. by Pepsi. The Super Bowl is not sponsored by Pepsi. It's its own thing. Tierney, you didn't have a great time watching in real time the political, you know, voting results last year. <laughs> yeah, no, that slowly that, that one whole week of, even... of November where I couldn't do anything other than watch MSNBC and just desperately wait for Trump to lose. I didn't yeah. even watch the 2016 results because I remember I came home. And you were sitting, sweating on the couch, just going, and I was like, oh, no, what's wrong? And then you're like, it looks like Trump is going to win. And I was like, they're not done counting yet. And then I went and I showered and I went Mm -hmm. to bed and I was laying in my bed and I just heard Matt go, no. (laughs) Yeah. And was was like, and then I got the like BBC, like, do, 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 do. And was just like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go to bed now. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Matt, what? No, no. I was just going to say, when I yelled no, I was doing an impression of my mom when she found out I was gay. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> she's, very, she's very accepting now. Way more accepting than Phil is of himself in this movie, Power of the Dog, in, on Netflix and in theaters. Um, Matt, are there Award any movies nominated. that are nominated for Oscars that you're jazzed about? 
West Side Story and Licorice Pizza. Uh, West Side Story Blu-ray coming out on March 15th. Your boy is very Bless. excited to buy it. Bless up. Bless up. Oh, and yeah. oh, and your fucking uh, Andrew Garfield Tick, Tick, Boom nomination. I mean, I thought the movie was good, and I liked the songs, but as a film... They're just all a, about the musicals this year. I guess. That's not typically what I want to be part of. Worst person in the world? Incredible movie. Not not nominated for enough. Uh, I don't know. Nominated for original screenplay. Guys, how are we going to feel if uh, that wins best original screenplay over Licorice Pizza? I'd be fine I with mean, that. I for the course. Is it written by a woman? Yeah. No. No. It's two dudes. <sighs> two Norwegian dudes. Damn it. <laughs> I know. Then I would be upset because I already want Jamie to beat PTA. So I would be upset if Worst Person in the World won on behalf of my dearly um, right, beloved so Paul. That's it. What have for you this guys one? been up to? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we've only got one more movie. Uh, left in our little best of 2021 series, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's I, we've it's been a little divided. <laughs> I'm it sorry, Matt like is styling Guillermo his hair from, right now, and I can't take him from, seriously. <laughs> I'm trying to look like an old timey snake oil salesman. Doesn't he look like Guillermo from What We Do in the Shadows, the television yes. show? Yes, very much. <laughs> That's what I went as for Halloween this year. Even though I haven't seen enough of that show to properly follow <laughs> references when they were shouted at me. <laughs> I just went, vampires. Um, but yeah, but yeah so we've got our one, next one, one. One left. It's, it's going to be a real doozy. It's this isn't pe- a lot of people's top of the year lists. Yeah. yeah. So. Like, so everybody get excited. People are saying it could be the best movie of the year if not the decade yeah it's true and i you know since we're talking about next movie i also want to acknowledge that the last podcast during the editing process we discovered that the dog that was constantly barking (laughs) on tyranny's side was persistent it persisted uh throughout the entire thing and so that was really for our listeners just a little easter egg teaser for this episode uh, the power of the dog, because the power of that dog kind of overwhelmed <laughs> that entire episode. So apologies if you listen to that dog. It was part of the show, so really you can't fault us for leaving it in. It is part of the vibe that we were going for. And we're very excited to explain what uh, Easter eggs we laid for you this episode, next yeah. episode. So everybody, actually, listen closely. And if, if, you did, if you didn't catch anything, go back and listen again, and then maybe listen three or four more times. We really got to juice these numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, pay, it, pay attention to the Luca conversation, actually, because that actually is very oh, important yeah, that's a, yeah. for a key moment in the next film. Yeah. So. Uh, what have you guys been up to lately? <clears throat> I can go. Uh, I watched Starstruck Season 2. It's great. Would recommend both one and two. Uh, two is only available on BBC at the moment, so you need a VPN. <laughs> I watched <laughs> I watched Tangerine last night, and I thought that was excellent. Ooh. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I still got to finish it. 
<laughs> how far did you get? Well, Colin and I started five years ago, six years ago, was at it? his apartment before we even I was moved say, in. It was the apartment before yeah. we lived together, which we moved into that apartment So this in is 2015, yeah. So yeah, this would have been 2015, yeah. 2016, somewhere in that zone. Yeah, so seven years ago-ish, um, <laughs> you know. Thought it was great, and then it was off Netflix for a little while, so it was harder to find. And now it's back uh, available. On what? I think uh, it's on Netflix, yeah. Okay. Uh, also, we should say Power of the Dog, Netflix movie. It's on Netflix. Um, is it a Netflix movie? Is it on Netflix? I think it's on Netflix. I'm not 100% sure. I think sure. it's a Netflix movie. I'm pretty sure you can catch this one on Netflix, though. Yeah, Power of the Dog produced by Netflix, so I think Netflix actually has the movie. <laughs> Uh, and then the only other thing I did this week was I read Faces in the Crowd by Valeria Luiselli. Um, yeah, uh, that's all. That's it. Take it away. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I can go. Um, you go. <clears throat> when we, so we recorded our last episode on Valentine's Day mm-hmm. and, uh, I, after we were done recording, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch a little rom-com by myself in my apartment. And I watched When Harry Met Sally for the first time. And Mm. I can't believe no one ever talks about how good that movie is. Like totally underrated. Nobody has ever said anything. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course I'm joking. That movie absolutely holds up to all the hype. It was great. I loved it. It's like consider the number one romantic comedy of all time I yeah like. it was it was so good i loved everything about it i thought i was losing my mind there for a second i was like people say this <laughs> um i also uh saw the worst person in the world which uh my god is that a great movie mm-hmm. i'm gonna be in contention for my number one of the year <laughs> like, hell yeah it's so good and also, uh, I still wear masks when I go to theaters, even though they're not required, and uh, was just sobbing at the end of this movie, and my yeah. mask was wet, and I was, like, kind of borderline waterboarding myself with my own tears, so that was a good look for me. <laughs> yeah, my mask was soaked. <laughs> like mother. a chair in the opening weekend of Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh. Just absolutely... Oh. Just... Rung out, you know. God, that movie is great. Um, I saw some other stuff. Uh, I saw the Uncharted movie, which was shockingly not terrible. Is that uh, the Sarah Bareilles concert? And then it inspired me to start playing the video games. (laughs) (laughs) I like don't even know if Sarah Bareilles has an album called Uncharted. I'm so confused, but I appreciate the effort put into it. Doesn't she have one? I honestly Maybe. have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I love she how fucking deep cut does. That it's like her big hit. No, great. I'm, Uncharted. Yeah. Sarah Bareilles' hit is Uncharted. Why I didn't even know that. Our, the YouTube I mean, video has over almost 1.5 million views. Deep. That's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 1.5 million is not that many, honestly. <laughs> like, <laughs> For Sarah Bareilles, that's probably a lot. 
Right, but I'm just like, I don't know Sarah Bareilles' music, and it's not big enough that it would have crossed my path at 1.5 I know million. love song. <laughs> I know, I'm not around you, a love song. King of Anything is another one. That one's pretty good. Yes, Didn't she, you know what more you than need I do. To say Didn't she do the, the Waitress musical? Fun. Isn't that her music? Or was she just in that? She did write the music for, okay. for that. And she was in it. Um, anyway, yeah. But yeah, so I'm re- I, lo- I'm re- I do love the cut. Okay, sorry. (laughs) I'm replaying the Uncharted games, and those games are still dope. Uh, The other thing I wanted to talk about just briefly was Euphoria Season 2, which is just an incredible mess. (laughs) It's such a fucking mess, but it is such, like, a beautiful, fun mess that, like, every single Sunday I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. (laughs) Like, none of this makes any fucking sense, (laughs) but I'm I'm here. (laughs) So... Yeah, season finale is this coming week, and I'm very excited about it. Even though, like I said, it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> like it's if, been a, it's been a ride. If you watch the first season of Euphoria and then watch the second, like if you put them next to each other, you're like, is this the same show? Like I know a lot of the characters are the same, and I know a lot of the sets are the same, but like I mm-hmm. feel like it's a totally different thing. <laughs> it's following the Riverdale model is what it's doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, that's it. Uh, nothing else too exciting on my on my end here. Yeah, I also haven't done a lot. Uh, I'm just I'm one episode away from finishing season one of Fargo, mm. um, which has been a very fun ride. Much better than season three, which is the only previous Fargo season that I'd seen. Uh, I thought the char- I think the characters are incredible in this first season. Billy Bob Thornton is aces. incredible. Billy Bob aces. Thornton is aces. Just got to that episode. Have been waiting for so long to see him say aces. <laughs> and he says it like four times in that episode. And I was like, holy shit, this is everything I wanted. Um, so yeah, I've been watching that with my roommate, Freddie, and it's been great. Uh, Are you guys going to watch season two afterwards? Probably, yeah. And I've been recommended season two by other people before. Um I think season then, two is a better season of TV, but I think I enjoy season one more. Yeah. For what and I was surprised worth. by the by the differences between the original Fargo and season one, because I kind of thought that one, like season one of Fargo was just an extended version of that story, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of different turns. It's much more surprising, uh, and it feels separate from the original Fargo, but has like motifs like pregnant cop and uh, like downtrodden husband mm-hmm. murder plot kidnapping all that kind of stuff uh, which is fun um and uh finished pen 15 I don't know if I brought that up the last time you okay, did well whatever I did it <laughs> I finished it um and I really yeah I haven't been watching a ton of other stuff I saw Spider-Man No Way Home a second time uh and I still think it's a very beautifully messy movie that like somehow does hold together like despite all of the things where you're like does this make any sense they give you one line where you're like okay i guess that's enough to i guess that explains it but it's like it's 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 held together by a lot of webs and it's good and it's fun um but it is such a it's a it's a huge movie doing a lot of stuff. I think you gotta Tierney, be on board for I think Tierney might enjoy parts of the new Spider-Man, given her feelings on the original Spider-Man. Yeah. I think there's a couple things that you would you would find to appreciate in this new one. 
I'm aware so that Tobey Maguire is in it. <gasps> wow, spoilers. It came out like kidding. two months ago. And everyone and in the world has seen, seen, seen it. Like it. <laughs> highest grossing movie of all time, almost. Um, I haven't seen it. <clears throat> well, I mean, whose fault is that? Does Peter Parker uh, or does Tobey Maguire still suck? He's actually, I think he's really good in this. He is really good in this. Garfield's better, but he's really good. All over TikTok, um, there were a bunch of videos when it came out of, like, the three different Spider-Mans and how they react. And Tobey Maguire is just one of the scariest, like, looking people and behaving people <laughs> in public life. Like, if I saw him in an alley at night, I'd be scared out of my mind. Versus if I saw, yes. like, Tom yeah. Holland, I'd be like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, Tobey Maguire yeah. would for sure have a knife and stab me. But then also, like, maybe <clears throat> cut all the way down my stomach vertically and, like, pull out my entrails Whoa. and, like, eat them as well. Wouldn't be surprised. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he, I don't really know what to do was, with that. <laughs> he was the leader of the quote-unquote pussy, pussy posse. Yeah. Yeah. He was the leader, the ringleader of them all. DiCaprio was just following suit, so... He was the brains of the operation, if you will. Just like the fact that Tobey Maguire probably has a closet full of skin, so. <laughs> We're throwing out some wild <laughs> theories at the very end of this episode. People, I hope they stuck around <laughs> to hear some of Tierney's secrets. She's heard rumors about celebrities, and she's, she's got the dish. She's got the tea. <laughs> she's spilling the tea on the dish. I feel I'm like... I'm finished! I'm finished!